Bob Cooney here. Welcome to another edition of the practicality of virtual reality sponsored by HCC Vive. And today we're going to be talking about free roam VR. And we have an amazing um, jury of guests. I don't know what to call you guys. You're a, are you a jury? Are you a panel? You're a panel. Like panel, panel. But, we, like but panel. we might, we might, we might come up with some verdicts by the time we're over. About are we ready for you know the expansion of free roam virtual reality? So let's start in the in the top right corner. Winston, tell us a little bit about who are you and what do you do? Well, hi, yeah, my name is Winston Cabell, based in Vancouver, BC, Canada, and I am uh, an owner of a zero latency venue and uh, actually about to open our second location next three to four weeks here so pretty excited about that i don't really come from a technology background or entrepreneurial but i've just you know i've loved uh, being part of the tech around vr and uh, and actually the whole zero latency team yes yeah, so me in a nutshell yeah cool speaking of zero latency scott say hello yeah hi uh, i'm scott van dogler i'm the cto and one of the co-founders of zero latency so i'm very much in the technology space i work on the technology platform working with hdc and all of our other technology partners to bring our experiences together. Yeah, cool. Thanks for being here. And uh, Thomas, good day from down down under. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, yeah, Thomas, I'm the country manager for HTC Vive based in Sydney. I look after the Australia, New Zealand market. And uh, in this capacity, I was very, very lucky to work with Scott and the team at Zero Latency over the last 18 months around the next generation of location-based entertainment with the Vive Focus Strike. You've got the weirdest Australian accent I've ever heard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you got to pick, right? Is it French? Is it South African? Is it German? Is it Aussie? <laughs> it's anything you want it to be, really. <laughs> and so, look, I want to start with, I'm going to kick it back to you. This is your second, you're about to open your second one, and you said you're not really from technology. So what attracted you to get into the location-based VR space in, in the first place? You know, I guess for starters, um, I was kind of like in my uh, third year of a gap year of <laughs> not really doing anything. But I, I've always just loved, even though I'm not techie myself, but I, I just love innovation. I love technology, you know, like whether it's like a Tesla or whatever, like I've, I've always just been, I just loved it. I never really tried VR before to be honest with you, but when I, you know, I, I, I read about free roam VR somewhere and I'm like, huh, this sounds, you know, this, this sounds interesting. I did my research and scoped out everybody you know, who was in the, you know, in, in the game and yeah. And then just, just, you know, obviously came across zero latency and just their approach to the whole free roam aspect of, of VR. And it blew me away, you know, had the opportunity to test out a lot of different systems. And I was just amazed with, you know, with, with what Scott and the entire team had done. So here we are today on location too. How is it, you know, we were just kind of before we went up, we went live, we were joking about, you know, we forget how much work goes into opening a facility. And so where are you now in the second one? And we're going to talk a little bit about where are you in the scope of this third, this second location now? And you said you're about to open in three weeks. What's the place look like if we walked in there today? It's come together quite a, quite a bit, you know, um, we're, we're going to wrap our game space next week, which really kind of brings the whole life to the arena. It's been a, a way, uh, a smoother process, I, I can say, than, than the first location and the fact that uh, with what Zero Latency has done with the whole deployment, you know, in the past, you know, we had to, you know, had have a team, you know, flying from Australia. Uh, there's a lot more gear involved, but Scott, the team has, has really 
you know, made it really simple for, for us operators to, to get in there and, and deploy, you know, so apart from just, just the basic tenant improvements, which is like the big part of, of opening any facility, um, the actual, you know, the arena itself and, and deploying the technology is quite simple now. And um, I, I, we can do it in a few days. Uh, like it's, it's that easy. So Scott, I've like, we've known each other for a while now. I think, uh, you know, I, I flew down to April and in April of 2016 to see your Melbourne location and you were yeah. just changed over from using PlayStation iToy cameras across yeah. the whole yeah. 4,000 square foot arena, 400 square meters. And then you'd move to machine vision, which was really kind of like, I don't know if this is the term, but outside in tracking, right? And then, That's correct. Yep. And, then and that was your first gen system. And you had to build the whole tech stack, which was actually quite a, yeah. quite a remarkable feat yeah 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 it's definitely it's come a it's come a long way over the last uh last 10 years but you're right yeah we started with the with the playstation i cameras they're an incredible little uh camera for uh for certainly how much they cost especially when we started but yeah we moved uh we moved into a more uh enterprise grade uh, machine vision system and uh and it was still i mean those systems were very complex they're very very bulky they required a lot of expensive equipment to run all of these cameras, which would monitor every, all the players' movement throughout this entire game space. And there's enormous amount of cabling, the um, networking and everything that had to go into creating that setup, which it was a much bigger ordeal. Like our very first deployment took a bit over a month the first time we did it over in, uh, in, in Tokyo. It was, it was a really, really big deal, but it has progressed an enormous amount over time. We, we keep working through, we find all of the things that that slow us down, the stuff that's expensive. We're always looking out for innovations in technology as well as you know operational innovation as well, things that we can do to make our own lives easier without without having to rely on just technology to do it. So it has progressed to the point now, yeah, where a couple of days by someone who has, you know, a team who have no experience really before with uh, with the zero latency system can easily unbox one and, and set it up. And yeah, massive hats off as well. I can't I know this is not an advertisement for HTC, but um, the Vive Focus 3 is, is a very nice piece of kit and it has um, made our lives better through it. And yeah, and the, I think the ability to improve upon the platform, it's not even a fixed unit. You can enhance it and, and build upon it, which is really the, uh, the power we found behind it. I want to go back a little bit. I want to kind of map the history because yeah. I think it's really, it's really interesting is that, so you had this Gen 1 full stack thing and then you went your Gen 2 system was using the Windows Mixed Reality HP Reverb headset. And so you went from outside into inside out. From my recollection and observation, you guys actually helped Microsoft figure that shit out, right? I mean, they really didn't ha have it working and you guys were the ones that kind of kicked them over the edge. Is that a fair guy? Like, you might not say that. Is it yeah. okay for me to no, say no, that? No, I, I would. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that no, we we saw uh, as soon as we saw the inside out tracking started to become a thing. We we're actually watching slam tracking. We'd been working with a whole series of different slam tracking modules, which uh, I can't even remember. It's going back too far. Uh, but a bunch of different companies had made all these modules to start demonstrating, like, oh, this is becoming a thing. Like computer vision is getting fast enough that the headset could do the tracking instead of relying on all of these cameras. And straight away, that just stood out to us as immediately being, oh, I we absolutely have to do this. We've got. In like in our arena in North Melbourne, we had 128 cameras watching the space. It was extremely and a rack of servers like that. eight foot yeah. tall, right? Yeah. So the idea that we could say, "Oh no, how about a couple of much cheaper and simpler cameras just sitting on the headset?" and uh, 
and you've got tracking wherever you want to be. And so that that stood out as something we really wanted to do. And we were just trying to find the right product to get it done. We were pretty close of going with something different. But when Microsoft announced their Windows Mixed Reality platform, we could see that it was it was a really, really nice tie into our existing platform as well, something we knew would scale a lot better because they demonstrated that first slam tracked headset. I can't remember it was with Acer, I think, at the time. So I got one of those straight away and uh, and started playing with them. We just knew that this is the path we had to go down. So yeah, we engaged with Microsoft with them. And to that point, and, and actually for quite a few months after, they'd only ever tested their system in a room uh, probably smaller than this one. They said they had like a three by three meter space was the biggest they'd ever used it in. And we were pushing it out into uh, 400 square meter environments. So we worked we worked a lot with them quite intensely and they were really excited about getting it working as well, which is great. So we got to build out that platform with them. And that turned into a lot of what we worked on there turned into what is known as the, um, or now it's going to scratch my brain, the, I think it's a Microsoft uh, VR developer toolkit. A lot of the features that they built out for us went into that, which was, uh, which was great. And that encouraged and we knew at the time, encouraged more people, obviously, to get into free roam VR and everything, which has been really great, really. And it's just been, it, it encouraged more people to do more slam. And hopefully it was part of what encouraged HTC to also get on board with it and build out the tools that they've been doing as well. So Yeah, and when you talk about slam, tell people what slam means. For sure. So uh, slam means uh, it's S-L-A-M. It stands for simultaneous location and mapping. It's the idea that you have these cameras which are watching the environment and the cameras have, they're paired, the camera's also paired with an accelerometer and a gyro. So they have a really good understanding of their rotation and a little bit of their movement themselves with the sensors inside. But they also augment, augment that with the cameras which essentially look for points of interest around the room or whatever it is that they're looking at. And so they try to get a good understanding of where they are and where they're moving based on what they can see. And yeah, some incredible stuff. That's about as probably deep as I can get on the technology. It's not something I've tried to implement because a lot of other people are doing amazing work with it, but it's pretty incredible. And that's more technologies from there. There's a lot of the stuff we're seeing coming out with AI and all sorts of things are still being built on this um, same fundamental principles. And Winston, you're, which, and, and so now you're on the Focus 3, which is your Gen 3 system, which is powered yep. by Focus 3. Winston, which, your first location, which generation was it? We were on Gen 2 with HP and it, night and day, you know, having switched to the HTC Vive Focus 3. It's, it's been a game changer for us, totally. Did you upgrade your first location from Gen 2 to Gen 3? Yeah, yeah, we, we did. Again, we just, we saw that, that the benefits of moving to, to, to this new, new system, new platform. So we, we, we bit the bullet and, uh, I'm, I'm really happy we did it. What's the primary difference been for you? Like in, in having gone, obviously getting rid of the backpacks is probably a big one, but what are some of it, the other advantages you've seen? From a player experience, you know, you don't have that, the heavy backpack on, you know, it's like you, you come out sweat, like really sweaty. But just to be honest with you, just like all the, the cable management, the cabling with, with Gen 2, it just created a lot of issues. And now again, with, with Focus 3 and, and, and the Wi-Fi 6E, it's just, it's, it's, it's seamless. So we're, we're, we're very happy. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you can improve in it, but I'm sure you guys will improve on it. Uh, and I can't wait to see. I just want to comment, you know, in my observation, and I've said this publicly before, I'll say it again, is that I'm, I'm, Really, really impressed with the way, Scott, you and your team have constantly disrupted your own business. Oftentimes, companies, they, you know, they, they come out with a product and they're married to that product and, and somebody else comes in and, and leapfrogs and comes up with something better. And you guys have constantly uh, really pushed the envelope on disrupting yourselves. And I know that that creates challenges sometimes for yeah. licensees who invest in 
a core technology and just like we all buy things and they become, you know, obsolete or they're not the latest thing and we always want the latest thing. And, and, um, but kudos to you guys for continuing to, to push the envelope on that stuff. Yeah, it's true. And it's something which we, we've entered into fairly consciously. And that first happened after we built that first generation product, we had our, our big outside in sort of camera based system. And as we saw these slam based and the camera based sort of, you know, the inside out tracking systems coming, a lot of pretty serious discussions. That was the very first time which we looked at things and we said, oh, wow, we actually, this is a pretty big change to our technology and the platform. And we knew how much disruption that would create for ourselves internally. But yeah, it's one of those things which if we don't do it, then someone else will do it to us. And we've seen everyone else jumping over onto that platform, which is, um, it is the smartest decision to be doing. And we've just got to keep forging ahead, making things better and, you know, get, getting the best uh, customer experience really, because that's what we're ultimately about as well. So Thomas, you have an amazing overview of the entire industry down in Australia. You cover all of the verticals for HTC. Beyond what's happening in zero latency with free roam, what other applications are you seeing out there? And how are you viewing this market? Like maybe that's where we start is because you guys cover a lot of different vertical markets. And how are you guys viewing the, the LVE market? Yeah, it's, it's actually fascinating to see how every single industry that we're talking to has jumped on the focus tray, right? So the, the PCVR stuff, as, as Scott was describing it, obviously clunky cables management requires a level of technical literacy that people just don't have in the workplace. And remember, the focus tray is exclusively designed for commercial use. We're not selling that product into the consumer space. So what's kind of interesting to me is to see that the evolution from using PCVR as a proof of concept, then solving challenges around scalability and having headsets that are easy to clean and easy to share and easy to get in and out as quickly as possible to deliver a good return on investment, a good you know turnover, getting people in and out, whether they're coming people coming for a little bit of fun in a location-based entertainment venue or someone who's actually doing a simulation training in the workplace, for example. So the adoption then from the Focus 3 was at two levels. Obviously, the ability to scale, but the ability to turn a solo VR training experience into a multi-user experience. So all the work that has been actually done, and certainly the LBE world has led the charge in terms of delivering multi-user scenario in the gaming and entertainment space first, is now being used up in the corporate world with people getting together. You've got your paramedics, for example, getting together to do a mass casualty simulation where you've got people coming from ambulance forces and fire for forces and you know police officers and whatnot coming together in this virtual environment with the Focus 3 using a back-end solution and a platform that is very similar to the one that is uh, being used by zero latency and other people in the uh, LBE space. So there's four key use cases that we see for the Focus 3 and for standalone VR, um, you know, in general, outside of consumer. The first one is LBVR, so location-based, as we're, we're discussing now. By far for us, in terms of adoption of the tech, it's anything to do with training, simulation, and safety. Uh, call it procedural training. Very still very much focused on hard skills training, soft skills we're getting there because we've got things like, you know, eye tracking and face tracking technology that allows to do things that were not uh, easily delivered in a 3D rendered 
uh, environment before. Third, you've got design, um, bringing your you know 2D assets into three-dimensional form. And then the fourth one is anything to do with remote collaboration. So doing what we're doing now, but in a slightly more metaverse 3D type environment. You've talked a lot about all-in-one, and, and I think it's important to draw this distinction. There's two uses for Focus 3 or any of the all-in-one headsets, um, because there's PC VR, which Scott and Zero Latency are using. Yes. You're using it to stream it over Wi-Fi 6E. And so let's let's talk about that a little bit because you know I think there's a level of complexity that you have to be willing to deal with um, versus you know somebody who's just running you know the native XR2 chipset content where everything resides on the headset and the onboard processors are doing all the rendering. Scott, talk a little bit about the, you know, you removed a stack of servers to deal with the tracking stuff, but now you've got to stream video over Wi-Fi 6E. Yeah. And so how did you, how did you deal with that? What are some of the complexities and what are some of the things people need to look out for if they go down this road? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great questions. Um, so yeah, to describe the, the system as it, uh, as it currently stands for context, we, we essentially moved our, our Gen 2 platforms very much around. We'd have a server in the background that was running the experience and it was talking to all of the backpacks on the players' backs uh, just over, over Wi-Fi. That's not as much of a demand on the Wi-Fi connection. It's a regular, regular sort of use case, really running a gaming experience, a typical sort of, not sort of network game experience there. And now we've essentially taken the backpack from the players' back and moved that and sit that, sit that next to the server in the back room, which is great. Now it has a nice connection to the server, but we've got to get that video feed from the backpack, also from the backpack to the uh, to the player's headset. Yeah, so we've, uh, in terms of uh, technology to do that, we really needed six gigahertz Wi-Fi. So we're using Wi-Fi 6E to do it. That gives us the throughput and the reliability and bandwidth to be able to do that in you know, any place in the world that we can run six gigahertz, which is getting to pretty much everywhere now. So that has been fantastic. But yeah, the complexities that we get from, from that is that we absolutely have to have a reliable, stable network connection. It just cannot have any issues with it. And six gigahertz helps that, but also having just really high, qual high quality equipment to work with as well is really key. There's definitely, I would say, if people are looking into this sort of technology, definitely pay close attention to the to the networking equipment they're using to select to run the experience because poor quality equipment like you know the cheap $20 Wi-Fi access point might say it's got six gigahertz or something like that at um, at the shop but that's um, it's probably not going to have the reliability and throughput to keep that experience running. I remember early on you were using like Cisco Meraki gear is is there yeah. is there a particular is that still that like that enterprise class because there's high-end expensive you can spend a thousand dollars on a game on a consumer gaming router too and they're not necessarily cheap but should people steer away from those and really stay with the enterprise stuff and why? It's a good question. There's, there's a bit of a mix. I mean, we find that, uh, yes, we're working with, with Cisco Meraki equipment. So we use Meraki. I'm not gonna remember the, the code of the unit that we're using top of my head, but yeah, no, we, we use their equipment because we found they're one of the providers that can really maintain that consistency and reliable experience, especially for high volume of players. When we've got up to eight players running at once, that's really pretty high demand on your, on your network equipment to manage high throughput connections and reliable low latency over multiple players. There is consumer equipment, some of it can do it, but it's one of those things where you'll find that they can mostly do it for one player. The problems you'll see is as soon as you start going to two player systems or or more, you'll start experiencing like it'll have trouble maintaining that high throughput for both clients basically. And you'll run into issues with interference problems if someone turns on another access point somewhere else in the room or something like that, it may not be as good 
at staying in its lane, like staying in the channels that it's been allocated, and it can create noise and interference in other in other channels. So that that's definitely a pretty pretty high consideration for us as well with the amount of bandwidth we're using. It definitely depends on the equipment. You can find cheaper equipment that performs better than more expensive stuff in some cases, and obviously, um, it, only takes most, one, it only takes most one of the time. pissed off birthday party mom though to make that investment look bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, that's that's it. That's it. So yeah, just caref carefully selecting that network equipment for us was uh, was really really key. But apart from that, the uh, the streaming technology itself, there's uh, there's starting to become some more options for how we do that, and that's and they're all improving over time, which is fantastic for us. And what we focus on is making that streaming experience consistent and reliable operationally as well so that you take the equipment you get like you get the headset turn it on it just works it doesn't matter who was using it before which server it was connected to prior all that type of thing the um the operational sort of orchestration of the system is definitely yeah. uh is definitely critical you, to get right scott scott you you make it sound like it's easy i'll tell you what i've, I've tried to do it myself and i was using off the shelf 6c stuff my headset, a good gaming laptop, and I couldn't get anywhere near what you guys were achieving in terms of quality. And that was just me using it in my home environment. So all I'm saying here is that obviously the work that's happened behind the scenes to make it work and make it seamless for, you know, Winston and, and those guys over the world is just phenomenal. Bearing in mind the level of quality that zero latency is aiming for in terms of the quality of the visuals obviously they're called zero latency for a reason and all that Wait, stuff doesn't all, happen fairness, magically right in all fairness that was an aspirational term in the early days <laughs> it was yeah 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 <laughs> yeah you guys had you guys had a vision but as you said that was when did you actually launch that first gen 3 site was that june last year yes yeah, yeah, I believe it's May, 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 June period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so obviously yeah. things have changed a lot since then, and there's consistent updates to the uh, Focus Three firmware and to the business streaming solutions that we've got, and and everything is getting better and faster and easier. But in the early days of the initial developments of the Focus Three, I can remember these weekly calls that we were having, where it was all about finding the sweet spot between testing the right uh, Wi-Fi six E router. Challenges across uh, different markets as well, because as you know, 6E has not been ratified in each country at the same time and not in the exact same way. So the situation we're in here in Australia is very different to the one uh, you guys are uh, in over in the US and Canada, for example. So I think dealing with all the, the, the disparity of you know, 6E rollout and ratification has been a bit of a challenge. But as it becomes a bit, bit more ubiquitous and yeah, all the works that happen beyond the scene make Scott say that it's seamless and easy. It is, but because they've done so much hard work beyond the scene. So yeah, kudos yeah. to you guys for doing it because it yeah. requires a lot of technical knowledge and technical literacy to make it work and then to make non-tech people be able to turn it on and make it work. And that's what I want to yeah. ask um, Winston about. Winston, what, what is, what's your experience been as far as the change from Gen 2 to Gen 3 because the technical operational expertise required on site is, is shifts, right? So you had some, you had networking equipment before, but like Scott said, it was XY coordinates, trigger pulls, it was pretty simple gaming stuff, which is, you know, which is, is, is fairly low load on the network, but you had backpacks, you had a lot of physical cable requirements, cable swaps, troubleshooting there. Now you've shifted all of that to servers and streaming when you look at your staffing requirements to run a Wi-Fi 6E Focus 3 enabled free roam system, 
Has it changed? And if so, how has it changed? First of all, I, I, I just going back to uh, what Scott and Tom was talking about, about, you know, like just the difficulty to, to get everything to work. And, you know, just from a consumer standpoint or from our standpoint, yeah, you know, we expect it to turn on and it to work. Um, and I guess like we, you know, us uh, as a consumer, we don't appreciate all the work that these guys do in the background, you know, just to, to make it work because, you know, obviously you turn on and it works, right? That's the way everything should, should be in this world. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, having moved to, to Gen 3, you know, as, as far, yeah, the, obviously the experience is better for the consumer. From, from a staffing point of view, you know, we, we've knocked down, you know, probably two staff now, like in a, you know, I've got like a full 12-hour day where, you know, we'd have to have, let's say, five, five people on at any one time um, just because of, you know, just the issues that that would constantly come up. And, and now, like, we can, you know, on... If I really want to run it on a tight ship, like we we can run it with three people, literally, um, because again, it's just everything's just so seamless now. And then when once you get into that routine, you know, like you get eight people in, um, they're playing. Then you brief the next eight people. The first eight people that are playing, they're done. They leave. You know, the next eight people that I brief. Now they're in. Or you know, after it takes like two and a half minutes to to clean the gear, um, and then and then they're right away. Um, so yeah, you, you can run a real tight ship, uh, with, with this new gear. And, um, so it's, it's obviously that there's an initial investment, uh, but the, you know, the cost savings down the road is, is coming back for sure. Yeah. And, and, and from a, but from a, how much networking experience do you have to have in your site to be able to manage the, the networking infrastructure? Do you need a, a, a network savvy oh employee no. who's on board <laughs> no. or just does, does no, Scott's team do that? You call me. him up and you go, hey, shit, it's not working. And he goes, boop, pushes the magic button and it's fixed? Or... Yeah, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm the, uh, the the network engineer uh, at our at our shops. But that, that that's how easy it is, right? Like, like I'm I'm literally it. Yeah, you know, like, like just like the, the instructions, like with the, just the whole deployment, right? Like it's it, it's, it's it's very, they, they, they thought about everything. They being, you know, Scott and the team, they, they thought about everything. And it, you know, they, all the diagrams, you just plug this, plug this, plug this. And I, 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 I should you not, it, it just works right away. So I, you know, hats off to, uh, you know, to everyone behind the scenes for, for putting it together because it's, uh, it's, it's a dream. Yeah. Cool. It's really, it's really, it's really good to hear in a bit. In what, in some ways I'm surprised in other ways I'm not. And I, and I do want to, you know, I think everybody's pointing back to Scott and his team and how much effort you guys have put in to try to make it easy and, and um, and I know that it's not easy because I've been to some locations who have done their own Wi-Fi 60 implementations. And I asked them, have you documented the process? And there's 50 pages of things that they have to go through to to manage that. And so um, I think I think if you're looking at solutions, it's important to understand, you know, the more the more this, the more technologically advanced it gets, it it can look easy, but not actually be easy. And that's where the solution you know, the launcher solution really, which is what, which I want to talk a little bit about um, yeah, yeah. With, this, with this group, right? I mean, there's, as HTC is kind of solidified as the, the standard right now, headset, the Focus 3 is kind of the standard headset for free roam and every, all the solution providers are jumping in. The, the, the differentiation, the, 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 the perceived differentiation to the uninformed cons, uh, operator or consumer is going to diminish and it's really shifting to operational um, systems 
and content, right? Because the hardware is all the same now, right? You, when you started, you had this amazing tech stack that you invented, including tracking cameras that for somebody to copy that was impossible. And now it yeah. looks like anybody could just buy a Focus 3, call up Thomas and say, hey, drop ship me eight Focus 3s and, and they're the free roam biz. And so um, as, the, as, the, 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 as, as this market consolidates around the Focus 3, Scott, how do you and Winston, you too, and uh, maybe go around the table to all three of you, you know, how do you view continuing to differentiate your system and your place in the market um, when the market starts getting more looking homogenized? You want to you want to yeah. start with that, Scott, and we'll just go around the wheel. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. It's um, yeah. Where where do we start? So we, as 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 we've been talking about, really quite a lot. We focus on making that system as easy to use as possible. We definitely want to make it user friendly to run it, not require any deep technical skills, anything like that. Uh, we're working more and more on trying to make it so the system can self-identify or we can identify from head office issues before you even have them and before you even experience them, all those sorts of things. And just keep optimizing that operational experience as much as we can so that it's very much like, you know, it just it's the just works feel is what we're constantly striving for. You just go in there, turn it on, you play a game, you expect that game to start and finish, um, you know, when you want it to and to work flawlessly and all those things. So that very much that philosophy and then feeding that into the content and the experiences that we make so that they have that experience, that feel about them as well. Customers can come in and they just get into the experience. You know, they don't need to be brief for half an hour on how to do it. We're trying to get things as logical and as straightforward as possible for the players such that even if they completely miss the briefing or they completely tune out, they just jump into the game and they can get in there and have fun and be safe and just have an excellent time. It's not a challenge for players. We don't want people to come in to our spaces as, as customers come in and be challenged in ways that they don't want to be what they want to, when they get they want to be challenged by like oh my god how many zombies can i shoot you know in, in 10 seconds as they're all running at me that's the, that's the challenge we want them focused on not the technology not having to deal with um all the complexity that is that is otherwise going on around them so yeah that's very much the the focus of uh certainly from the technology perspective from our perspective well what we are really working towards just every single day just trying to make that as seamless as we can and HCC, yeah, and, and, that, and that's really important too, right? Because sorry, it's really important. Like, yeah, it has to be seamless, has to work, it has to be easy for the customer. Like, they don't like like Scott said, they don't need you know, in a break room for half an hour. All all the rules and everything. Um, it, it's a premium experience, right? That 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 that, that we offer, and uh, and it, it comes at a price as well. And, and people are willing to pay as long as you can deliver, and mm -hmm. and that's that's the big thing. We you have to deliver, and uh, we're we're doing that. And I know, look, I know in, in Vancouver, there's a there's a sandbox VR, I think. Right. And so yeah. and they do I think they do really well. And so how do you how do you see them in your market like as an operator and and how do you differentiate or do you or is it just, you know, it's like there's different content, different systems. And do you get crossover customers? I'm curious about how that works. You, you know, I, I, I welcome competition. Um, you know, like, like you mentioned, Sandbox is, is in town, uh, but there's another local company that's in town that, that, that also has a, a free roam. They're, they're like a, a six man system, like in a, in a big arena. And I'm, I'm happy for customers, it, you know, go, yeah, absolutely. Go to Sandbox, go try them out. Just the whole EBR in general, like it's, it's still not known, right? It's still new to everybody. To have the, the competition out there is great. And, and eventually, you know, customers are going to go to the best, right? That's, yeah. that's the bottom line. You know, one of the things, one of the things that, 
that Sandbox does is they do the, the you know, they do track the hand and foot tracking, which adds a, lo a lot of complexity to the operational, to the operations, to the, to getting people suited up and getting them out of it and everything. And they use it in a really strategic way, which is interesting. And do you find the simplicity of zero latency from a consumer standpoint attractive? Do people talk about that difference in at all, Winston? Yeah, no, it, it definitely comes up. I'm not going to lie, like Sandbox has some features that, that I wish we had. Like it, it's, that's, you know, it's the bottom line. Scott, you, you mentioned uh, before we got on the, you know, going to the, the risk trackers and starting to use mm -hmm. that. Um, how are you guys going to use that? And then Thomas, we should talk a little bit about the self-tracking trackers, which I love the name. I don't know what it's, uh, I'm assuming you'll come up with something else that's, that's less redundant, but I do love it. Um, and how might and how and how are you guys at zero latency looking at implementing some of this new tracking technology that's coming out that's making it like hand tracking and things like that? Do you have any of that in the roadmap? Yeah, I'll, I'll go through all the roadmap in detail, but definitely. Um, <laughs> oh come on! Yeah, <laughs> but um, but to touch on a few little bits, especially uh, yeah, some of it coming up there. Yeah, the risk tracker is uh, which is one which we've been pretty excited about, and uh, we've been starting there by integrating it in and we're just completing our our trial yes so thomas has the uh, that little Wait, risk tracker and we're using there, that thomas, to get that yeah. there we go so we're using using that little tracking device to uh swap out the hand tracker so right now we take the um the normal like handheld controller type tracker and we we track that from the headset uh it is it is a bit bulky and it looks it looks a little awkward on there um, and it also limits us in a few different features and things that we can't otherwise normally do, uh, which that little uh, that little wrist tracker is offering us. So we're we're adding that in. We're swapping that in onto our um, our usual sort of uh, sort of the gun controller at the moment, and we're looking to roll that out um, very very soon, hopefully. So in the uh, in the coming months, we'll be seeing that seeing that around uh, or more of our locations. It is mostly solving a lot of the technical challenges, but it's also some good operational ones as well. It's that um, just constantly refining the process type thing. Um, It'll be a free upgrade too, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. We'll talk to, we'll talk to Tom. <laughs> the but I was going to say, yeah, in terms of some of the other tra tracking technology and stuff in there, it's, um, yeah, like both the hand and feet trackers and everything. I mean, to date, we haven't had a great solution for that, which is, we feel is easy enough to do like uh, operationally to be doing that at scale so uh so yeah I'm, I'm really excited to be trying out the uh the new self tracking trackers as well as playing more around like you mentioned the uh the hand tracking as well we've definitely been uh, using that a lot and getting troops on how that can be used because that's obviously built into the focus three as well yeah. that's been a bit of a um a bit of a waiting for critical mass as well we've been rolling out the our that gen 3 and that the hcc focus 3 to as many of our locations as possible and we've uh, more than half of the zero latency locations right now are all on the focus 3 and by the end of this year we practically all of them so we'll be able to have wow. uh, reliably make content that we can send out to all of our allocations where yeah we can involve that hand tracking as well that's actually an amazing right. statistic that most if not all the locations are going to come over i think that's a testament to the solution mm. and the quality and the difference of the of, of the gen 3 system and focus 3 but from your perspective having a you know a, a network where you know it's almost all consolidated on one platform allows you to push the envelope on content development and and features and things like sure that you know because if you get a fragmented network with three different generations of systems out there you know, it's it 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 be at a certain point you can't optimize to the low to the weakest link in the network. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm really excited about it, and it's it's not been. Too, I mean, it's been 
really, really nice to see how fast the Gen 3 stuff is, uh, the, the platform is being adopted just for, for that very reason is, um, yeah, being able to really push the envelope with, uh, with the next round of uh, content coming out is, yeah, it's quite exciting. So, yeah. so what are some of the things that, you know, you'd like to see next get better, make it easier to deploy faster, bigger, cheaper? Like, what are some of the things that are just on the horizon that, that you eat, each of you just can't wait for that, um, or you really hope happen in the next 12 to 18 months. Do you want to start with, take that one, Winston? Take that, Winston. Oh, man. Um, full body tracking would, would be amazing. I don't know how it's doable, but uh, I, w- I would love to see that. You know, like, 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 like mimic everything you do in real life that actually happens in the game, right? That I think that would be, that'd be pretty cool. Are, are you guys... Are you guys- Playing with any of the new, you know, the, the, you know, markerless tracking, Scott, is now a thing, mm. you know, you see all this move AI and they're, they claim they're coming out with a real-time tracking system. Are you, are you tracking that stuff? And, and do you see, do you see any of that in the future, maybe? Absolutely. No, we've been watching that for a really long time and there's, um, we've done a few experiments and things like that with it ourselves. I think the, that it, it takes us back a little bit to an outside in tracking system, although with substantially, I think, you know, a bit less less infrastructure, but there's definitely um, hesitance around moving to, uh, yeah, that level of environment set up again. But it is pretty exciting. And I do really, really like that space. So I think there's a few interesting options between that and what um, Meta has been doing with um, trying to get full body tracking just based on the cameras and the headset itself. I think that stuff is really impressive. Yeah, there's a, there's a few really interesting options. I mean, in conjunction then with, you know, just strategically using potentially the self-tracking, yeah, sort of trackers as well. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of different options and I, I agree. It's, um, it's a fun space, and I feel like uh, I feel like that is a little bit of what what is coming next is a combination of that as well as what Thomas was talking about earlier with uh, more eye tracking and face tracking and getting more of that emotive sort of representation for the players in the space. But uh, being able to communicate with each other, so when you turn and look at your friend, you can see if they're smiling or frowning or scared yeah. or whatever it is. That that deeper engagement for experiences um, is pretty meaningful. For you guys did uh, there was a, a a social video that you guys did. Um, several years ago where somebody proposed marriage in, you know, in a zero latency arena, you created a custom environment for them, which was really cool. And, you know, and so the ability that certainly if stuff like that, that emotive ability would be, would be game changing. Do you see that you guys really focus on kind of first person shooter games? Is that something that, that makes sense? And is that something you're looking to go beyond? Like, I think the, you know, is the FPS genre where it's where you made your name. Do you, do you see yourselves moving beyond that at some point yeah yeah absolutely i mean we've been working on some content i mean we've had a few titles over time as well which uh, have not been as uh you know the shooter shooter focused and and we'll definitely be doing more of it so um yeah 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 They're definitely definitely looking to mix that up obviously we've got uh the title we've already announced with um with space marine and working with games workshop on that one that will still be very much a shooter and yeah. staying in that in that category but beyond that there's uh there's some exciting things which we've got in the works which we'll be uh, be able to announce later um you don't want to you don't want to make an announcement now to give us a practicality of vr series news break no <laughs> I you, get a, bit, a bit of trouble for breaking that right, <laughs> right now <laughs> Yeah, no, no, that's, uh, but no, there's, it, it is, we are looking to broaden that. We really want to uh, be reaching um, as wide an audience as possible and showing people what sort of things could be experienced in, uh, in these VR environments and truly sort of um, really show, show people like the, the, the classic Star Trek holodeck type experience where you'd walk into a room and it could be whatever you wanted to. That's still 
the vision that always still holds true in our minds to what we're trying to achieve. So um, it should be anything for, for everyone. That's the that's the goal. But definitely, obviously, when we started with with shooters, that's um, a space which we knew best, um, and and we knew we could engage with uh, the most yeah. to to get started. But yeah, the longer term cool. goal is yes, is is much much broader. Cool, Thomas. What's you know you talk you're talking to everybody in the space down there in, in Australia that's doing anything in the free in, in VR and free roam. What do you what do you hear? What are people asking for that you think realistically um, is, you know, is on the horizon somewhere in the next 12 months or so? The I think the biggest thing is going beyond the six to eight players. I'm hearing people, they want to come in together as a pack of 10, 12, you know, 15, whatever. So that's the next big thing. And, and, and the good news here is that all the things that you've mentioned, uh, whether it's you, Winston or Scotty, it's all technically doable with the ecosystem of accessories and enterprise solutions that we've built around the focus tree, right? So the focus tree, people think about the headset, it's only just the tip of the iceberg. Then you've got this underlying network of accessories, whether we're talking eye tracking, face tracking, wrist tracking, the self tracking tracker, which is by the way, not a name, it's just a thing that we threw that's what they, um, at that's what they said about Xbox. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, if people start calling it STT or self-tracking tracker, why not? But it's a bit of a mouthful. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so for full body tracking, that's 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 a great um, way to, to do it. Challenges around hand tracking, and obviously there's always issues and, and you know concern around lighting conditions and occlusion because you guys want experiences where you use real props. So the whole hand tracking things is obviously going to be enhanced with something like the wrist tracker, which is being used as you're going to be using it, uh, Scott, at zero latency by mounting it on the actual weapon. There's other ways to use it, and that's mounting it and wear it as a wearable. So we take the six dots so of the six degrees of freedom tracking of the controller away from the controller, and we bring it to your wrist, So and we couple that with the hand tracking capabilities of the headset to take hand tracking and you know to the next level which takes me to the next thing which is interaction right so how do you interact with your virtual world virtual or mixed reality world i mean there's questions around you know bridging the gap between your physical environment and your virtual environment and are we still talking virtual reality only or are we looking at a mix of physical and virtual which is you know effectively called mixed reality so that's the type of scenarios and things that customers want to hear, as far as I understand. As you said, Bob, I talk to you know different type of uh, content creators and people that uh, are obsessed with delivering the latest and greatest about virtual reality experiences. We're very, very lucky here in this market because we've got a number of venues across all the capital cities that are now looking at consolidating as well. So um, what's the business model beyond the way we doing it with zero latency what happens if someone like winston wants to start opening up to other type of content which i know is not in you know scotty's best interest but in terms of continuing to drive a very broad catalog of content and experiences you know it's it's it will have to happen eventually at some point because it's all content driven and it's content based how do you incentivize people to come back to your venue every month and not you know twice a year you really want to drive that behavior where they say, hey, what are we doing this month? Are we going to the movies or are we going to a VR arena? Or what are we doing? And there needs to be enough content out there. I think the number of people that you can actually you know, do it with 
And the cost, cost is always you know, one of the things, and you briefly touched on, you know, the question mark around cost and when is it going to come to a point where it's already leaps and bounds compared to the, the actual cost of the Gen 2 and Gen 1 systems, for sure. But in terms of driving the cost down, I think the, the things that we're working on and thinking about in terms of network design and network architecture is how do you start virtualizing this network equipment that you have to invest in, right? So for each headset that you're using in the context of a zero latency venue, you need a GPU. So you need your graphic cards, you need your you need your your server rack, and there's a one-to-one relationship. What happens when you've got downtime? Or what happens if you need to take it up to you know an arena of eight to two arenas of eight? So combined, you know, 16 players. So virtualizing that back end, I think, is one of the biggest things that um, the location-based uh, business will you know be looking forward to um, and certainly making Winston's and all the you know um, end users lives easier when it comes to deployment and eventually more cost effective because cost effective is is uh, something that we're all looking looking at and looking for yeah thanks Scott what's the what's your thoughts on number of players has come up a couple of times now and you know, mm. and, and we know that we've seen smaller footprint systems with higher player per square foot density you guys played around with I don't know, 13 or 14 players in tests years ago um, with your Gen 2 system, um, maybe even with the Gen 1 system. What's what's your yeah. thinking around player density and where are you guys going with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like uh, we are trying not to fill the space with too many people because we definitely want to really maintain that uh, that free roam VR type feel. And that is key to like that eight player count is really key to a lot of the ways that we manage like a, a particular type of experiences we make. Uh, but I do believe that there are other conditions, there are other types of experiences you can be doing, which do call for higher play density where everyone can still be having a really good time. It's uh, it's all about structuring that experience in, uh, in a different way to make sure that it doesn't just, you know, start to feel cramped really. Yeah. So yeah, I, I am interested in that as well. We We may have been doing experiments with similar things um in, internally and looking really at um at what we can do with uh with with density in and around and that similar topic without going into detail around like you know those different types of experiences and different you know for different audiences and things like that one more question i want to ask uh, before we wrap thomas you know you mentioned virtualization of of some of this stuff and 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 i know there's a lot of talk internally you guys released some new products in barcelona around 5g networks do you see a space for that in this kind of free roam vr for you know a 5g network instead of wi-fi and 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 if so why and when might we see something like that it's an interesting topic uh to a point that scott and i you know went in front of the one of the australian telcos last year to discuss what what's the final story and is there a way to say take the zero latency from a like a kind of a wall garden, fully established venue to something that's more of a pop-up? Is it like a mobile solution that you take to trade shows and, you know, Christmas parties or, you know, whatever it might be? Uh, and is 5G the right network for it? And right now, based on the conversation we we're having and the understanding of where the technology is heading, the headsets are not 5G enabled, right? So eventually you still have a Wi-Fi connectivity from the headset to an access point. The question is then, does this access point go well stays on a kind of a local um, old school intranet kind of network, or does it need to go to the internet, which if there ever happens to be a Vancouver v 
Paris Soul Riders competition. There has to be some network, you know, backend solution that is that is being used. And the conclusion was that for what zero latency is doing now and how the headsets are being used in terms of you know bandwidth and everything, not so much of an option for a fixed environment for mobility. Maybe now, is there a need for something that is as sophisticated as what zero latency are doing in terms of streaming content from the edge of a network to the headsets? Is there a market for it, or is there like a standalone content rendering as the Focus Three can do natively without having to stream the content from anywhere? Is that sufficient? And right now, what we're kind of hearing is that it it is probably enough, right? So, in in other words. Wi-Fi 6E, when it's done really, really well in terms of managing the channel, managing the band, delivers just what zero latency requires in terms of performance. Adding the complexity of a mobile network, which doesn't give Scotty the level of control that he wants in terms of you know quality of service and bandwidth and everything, doesn't happen now. It will happen eventually when the network starts what they call slicing. So the ability to say, hey, if you're a zero latency customer using a zero latency 5G SIM card, we guarantee, um, you know, hands down, you get X amount of bandwidth, a latency that goes up to Y, which is going to be, I don't know, 10 milliseconds or something, because that's the type of latency we need to get to to deliver outstanding gameplay with no lag and no motion sickness and, and none of that. So there's been so much progress and and improvements in the hardware and the platform to get to the point that we are now that nobody is ready to take a punt and say hey let's add the unknown of 5g that could imply an improved latency which in turn would kind of degrade the experience that we've you know spent so much time building so i don't think 5g as it is designed today is the right back-end network for the you know zero latency type experiences it is though for um, when you want to deploy uh, work um, workplace VRs, like uh, I was talking about design and remote collaboration, these applications that do not need super, super low latency, all they need is a decent bandwidth to make sure that when you've got a big CAD file, so a big 3D model, say the you know prototype of a car, for example, I could be sitting here using my private 5G solution and have you on the other side of the campus wearing your headset, and we would be designing and changing and modifying the actual design of the, ca the car together. If there's like a 20 or 30 milliseconds latency, that's probably not the end of the world, right? But this is where the private 5G solution is. That's what we're aiming at in terms of use case, not so much the you know super high fidelity, zero latency type application like um, what we're talking about here. Scott, do you want to add anything to that? I think Thomas covered that. Uh, yeah. yeah, pretty well. That's yeah, that's cool. pretty much where we awesome. feel about it. Like you said, we discussed that a bit before. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. So, um, look, I really appreciate all of your, you know, your input, your time, your vision, and all the hard work that you guys have put into to continue to push the envelope on, you know, free roam virtual reality. It's good to see how far it's come, and and kudos to mm -hmm. uh, to all of you, and, and and especially your team, Scott. I mean, you guys, you know, I've been there. Watch you guys for a long time now, and and continue to be impressed how you're staying in the leadership position and continue to push the envelope and and like I said, disrupt yourself before somebody else can. It's really admirable as an organization. So well done. Uh, so that's it for this episode of the practicality of VR. 
Um, and we'll see you soon as we tackle another vertical market um, coming up soon. I'm Bob Cooney, and uh, I want to thank you for watching.